Hi, this is Gilad Niger, and you're listening to Tech Tuesday Unboxed. In today's episode, we chose to talk about the role of Service Mesh with a special focus on Linkerd, one of the leading solutions in this space. If you've ever wondered how to enhance the reliability, security, and observability of your microservices, or if you're curious about the real-world challenges that lead organizations to adopt a Service Mesh, I think you'll find this episode very interesting. Today I'm happy to talk with Flynn, tech evangelist at Boyant, the creators of Flinkrd. Hey, Flynn. Good afternoon. How are you? Good afternoon. I'm good. How are you? Doing all right. Yeah. Happy to be here. Great. You know, I'm very excited to run this talk about Service Mesh and Linkerd, especially. As Great. I find them uh, very important concepts in today's world of microservices and Kubernetes. But before diving uh, deep into those concepts, uh, tell us a little bit about yourself. Oh, boy. Um, <laughs> I got here via a, a kind of a strange path in some ways. Um, I've actually done computing since 1983, uh, which is often feels either like way too long and sometimes feels like just barely long enough. I got into cloud native uh, by being the original author of Emissary Ingress. So I spent six years or so working over on that, slinging code around, thinking a lot about the, the end users and application developers and the Ingress problem, and then ended up swapping, banging on code for banging on English and teaching people about, learning a lot about Service Mesh and teaching people a lot about Service Mesh as well. Amazing. Amazing. Uh, so in short, uh, just to let our audience understand better, what is Linkerd about? Linkerd is a service mesh. In mm -hmm. fact, it's the first CNCF graduated service mesh. It, for a long mm -hmm. time, it was the only one, but Istio recently graduated. Um, the point of a service mesh is basically to go through and add a bunch of very important features at the platform level, below the level of the application, so that you don't have to modify your application to have them. And specifically, we're talking about security and reliability and observability, which are all critical things. You can't really do a cloud-native application if you're missing any of those three things. And the nice thing about a service mesh is that, like I said, they do this at the platform level so that you don't have to, on the one hand, you don't have to modify your application for them. But even more importantly, the application developers don't have to worry about those things. And so they can end up spending their time and energy focusing on business problems rather than everybody trying to get security right or everybody trying to get reliability right. It's a huge time savings in terms of your development cycle. Mm -hmm. Okay, so I'm trying to understand better how Service Mesh um, resolve challenges uh, in today's microservices and Kubernetes world. So let's imagine we're a company uh, running a microservices-based application on Kubernetes on the cloud. What challenges we might face in our infrastructure or application stack that might lead us to consider using a service mesh? A service mesh? There are several, actually. Um, to kind of take them, maybe not, really in order, but at least kind of one at a time. Um, 
if you look back before the cloud native days, then your application would tend to be running all in one monolith. And effectively, the, the process in which the monolith is running serves as a very important security perimeter. And we mostly wrote monoliths to kind of trust the code running inside the monolith, which sounds a little bit obvious, I guess. Um, once you go in the cloud native world and you're doing microservices, you don't have that perimeter anymore. You're running your microservices probably on hardware that you don't own, on networks you don't control. And so one of the most fundamental questions you get into is are things like, oh, look, I'm getting a request from the user interface to go transfer money from this account to this other account. And even before you can start asking questions like, is the right user logged in? Does the user own these accounts? You have to ask the question of, how do you know it's really the user interface talking to you as opposed to some evildoer? And so that's one of the first things that service meshes can deal with is to provide you assurance that the microservices you're communicating with are actually the microservices you think they are. If you don't use a service mesh for that, each of your application developers individually has to solve that problem, which means not only that they have to spend a bunch of time on it, but also that you have to make sure that each of your application developers individually gets it right. And it's usually much more cost-effective to push that down into the infrastructure and rely on the infrastructure folks to get it right once rather than relying on application developers to get it right every time. Mm -hmm. We can extend that into reliability and observability. The way most meshes work is that they actually insert proxies next to each of your microservices. They insert these proxies. The proxies that they insert then intercept communications from pod to pod which means that they're in a great position to mediate communications and to measure what's going on. Uh, the mediation part is fundamental to the security aspect, but it's also fundamental to the reliability aspect. So if they try to make a request from one microservice to another and the request fails, the mesh actually can just decide to retry that transparently. And again, you don't have to have each of your application developers going and adding retry logic to every one of their calls. Um, since it gets to see both the call and the response, that means we've got metrics and we have uniform metrics everywhere for each of the microservices that can be funneled back to some central place so you can see them all. The combination ends up being extremely powerful. And thankfully, it ends up being extremely simple because somebody else wrote all the code and your application developers don't have to worry about it. Mm -hmm. It's very interesting. I would love to detail um a little bit more about each aspect you you've mentioned you've you've mentioned security reliability mm -hmm. and observability so let's start by the security how does how does linkerd specifically handle those improvements so the most straightforward obvious answer is that linkerd automatically does mtls between your workloads on the one hand we're using the tls protocol to encrypt your traffic and also to guarantee that nobody is tampering with your traffic. People often mix those two. They're actually two different functions and they're both very important. But the other thing that MTLS does in particular is that it also authenticates both ends of your connection rather than just authenticating the server the way typically you'll see when you're using a web browser to hit a TLS site. One of the interesting things going on here is 
since you don't control the network, then trying to use anything about the network as a proxy for identity is a very bad idea. Kubernetes can and will change your network addresses whenever a pod restarts, for example. And this means that it can be very problematic to try to rely on the IP address or really anything else about network topology for identity. So the way Linkerd actually does this is to create cryptographic identities that are based right now on Kubernetes service accounts. You can associate a specific service account with your workload. Kubernetes will provide a service account token going with your service account, and we use that to bootstrap a cryptographic identity, which means that now your identity is totally independent of anything in the network. And no matter what sort of topology you're using, no matter what the network layer decides to do under the hood, the identity of the workload is something that you get to rely on. So that ends up giving you some pretty powerful guarantees about both who the workload is and about whether the communications that you're having with it are reliable in the sense of nobody else can eavesdrop and nobody else can tamper. We also then have a set of primitives that we can layer on top of that to enforce policy. You can say things like, this workload gets to talk to this other workload, but you can say things like, for example, the user interface gets to talk to the microservice that can get you a list of bank accounts, and the user interface gets to talk to the one that controls transferring things, but the microservice that can get you a list of accounts does not get to talk to the one to transfer money, because why would it need to? So this gives you a very usually straightforward way to start enforcing least privilege at you know across your entire application in a way that actually works. Okay, so that's security. Uh, reliability. There are a lot of different ways you can approach reliability. They all rely, I feel bad for saying rely and reliability in the same sentence, but <laughs> you know, all of these ways of approaching reliability actually rely on the fact that the mesh gets to intercept and mediate all of the communications that happen. So the mesh can do things very easily like, oh, this request is taking too long. I'm going to kill it and make a request to a different backend service or a different backend for your specific workload. Um, it can do things like notice that a request fails and immediately do retries. Linkerd does this thing called budgeted retries where instead of counting and saying, we're willing to retry this three times, we look at the total fraction of retries compared to the total traffic. And as long as the fraction of retries is below a certain threshold, we'll just keep retrying, which is different from the way a lot of other things in the world do it. It's a little bit more complex to implement, but it's a much more graceful user experience because you don't have to think about things like how many retries is okay. You just say, you know what? I'm going to cut this off at 20% and then let Linkerd deal with the rest of it. Um, we also do things like circuit breakers where we can notice that a given uh, when I say backend, I'm talking about the, the specific pod that's implementing a particular microservice. So Linkerd can notice things like, hey, this particular backend seems to be failing a lot. I'm going to stop talking to it. I'll just, you know, mm -hmm. talk to the other backends instead, give that one a chance to recover and then come back to it in a little bit. So um, you can control again, it. So, sorry, but uh, no, no, you, you, you can control it um, from the Linkerd level, like from mm -hmm. the Linkerd layer, from the service mesh layer, and mm -hmm. not from the application level. Right. And in particular, this lets you do things like 
imagine that it's 8 p.m. on a Friday and the network operations center starts to get complaints from the users saying, hey, such and such isn't working. In a lot of situations, instead of calling the developers in to work overtime over the weekend, you can, and I guess I should probably re, re, you know, emphasize the fact that Friday night is the beginning of the weekend for the United States, yeah, unlike yeah. Israel. <laughs> um, but uh, rather than calling in your development staff to work overtime and try to figure out what the problem is, in a lot of situations, the people in the NOC can use metrics coming from Linkerd and spot which workload is having the problem. And then they can enable retries for that without having to talk to any of the application developers at all. And then from the user's perspective, the problem gets better because the mesh will automatically retry it. The users become happier because they stop seeing the failures and the development staff can come in on Monday morning and deal with the actual debugging. Worth pointing out, the actual debugging is still very important. If you just sit there and run for months with the retries in place, that is not good. Uh, but that's a business process issue rather than a networking issue, right? So we worry about the networking problem and let the end user worry about their business processes. Uh, that also gets us into the observability part of this, where in that case, that's a situation where letting somebody who isn't a developer see the metrics all over the application can be really, really helpful. But another one is if you're a developer and you're working on a microservices application, being able to get reliable metrics all the way through the call stack is extremely important. Um, for KubeCon in Detroit, I think it was, I and Daniel Bryant of Ambassador Labs did a demo of reliability using both Emissary Ingress and Linkerd working together. And I wrote that entire demo. It only has four microservices. And one of them is doing nothing but serving the HTML and JavaScript for the GUI. So it effectively, you hit it once and then never again. So most of the demo is three microservices. I wrote all three of them. I understood exactly how that thing was going on. And I had to use every single observability tool that both Emissary and Linkerd gave me to be able to nail down exactly how that simple demo was behaving so that I could guarantee that it was going to be a good demo. So even when you're dealing with pretty simple microservices and pretty simple microservice applications, observability is really, really critical. Um, the the one that was the most fun in that one was, you know, firing up for the first time and I immediately get an error, you know, 503 and realize, great, where is that coming from? Because two of my microservices at least will forward a 503 from the lower layer. So that was the reason why it was so complicated to figure out all of this stuff is there are very, very complex interactions between microservices in these microservices applications. You need all those tools. So we give them to you. Yeah, yeah, I, I understand. I, I must ask, doesn't it add a massive level of complexity to the DevOps team? Like we, we already manage the complexity of Kubernetes and cloud management, and now it's great. We we take from the developers the need to um, control retries and uh, worry mm -hmm. about um, authentication, and we take the MTLS, that's great, but it's another layer of com 
complexity to our the state. So you're um, yeah. The, the I appreciate that you phrased that very politely. The less polite way <laughs> to phrase that would be, "Hey, don't service meshes have a reputation for being ridiculously complex?" And <laughs> yeah, sometimes um, they don't need to be ridiculously complex. Linkerd in particular actually puts an enormous amount of effort into being operationally simple. Um, mostly in the real world, the biggest thing that you have to worry about on a day-to-day -day basis running Linkerd is making sure that the certificates used for all the MTLS don't expire. And there are three layers of certificates in Linkerd. Uh, Linkerd itself manages the ones that all of the workloads get, so you don't have to think about that one. And the other two, we basically say, so what you ought to do is automate those with Cert Manager, or at least automate the middle one with Cert Manager. And then, you know, at that point, you're down to having to worry about something once a year or so, right? Um, but seriously, that's the biggest operational issue that most people have with Linkerd is managing mm -hmm. certificates. Um, one of the really interesting things about Kubernetes is that if you think about it, no real humans run Kubernetes just to say they're running Kubernetes. A developer who's trying to learn about it might run their own cluster for no purpose except to learn about it, which is fine. That's a great purpose. But if you go into the enterprise or into a startup or you know anybody who we would consider an end user, they are running Kubernetes because they have a goal. They have something they need to get done. Absolutely. Um, there are a lot of cases where the Kubernetes ecosystem, to my mind, puts an unfortunate emphasis on the people who are operating the clusters rather than the people who are trying to use the clusters. And both Emissary and Linkerd have put, you know, deliberately tried to emphasize designing for the people trying to use the thing. And the end result is that they end up being much more operationally simple than a lot of their peers, as it were. Linkerd in particular, I think the best way I can summarize that one is over and over and over again, we hear stories from organizations that spend six months trying to do a proof of concept of some other service mesh and failing. And then they have Linkerd running in two hours. We actually, this is this is going to sound like an exaggeration, but it is not. Uh, a financial organization that we worked with spent six months trying to go to a different service mesh you can speculate which one it was. I'm not going to say. Uh, but they literally spent six months. They couldn't do it. And they had Linkerd up and running in production in nine days. Wow. In a financial, you know, this is a, a United States financial institution. So heavily regulated thing. They went from nothing at all through their proof of concept into production in nine days. That's impressive. Which, well, and again, it's, you know, this is what we do, right? The The point of Linkerd is to try to preserve that kind of operational simplicity while still giving you the functionality that you need. Which, okay, so, yeah. So, this is hard, so you mentioned... but this is what we're after, you know? <laughs> yeah. yeah, go ahead. Eventually, what can lead us to choose Linkerd 
over other um, service mesh solutions. You have already mentioned um, the simplicity of installing Linkerd compared to other solutions, but do you have other reasons? Yeah, I think operational simplicity is the biggest one. It's not just that it's simpler to install, it's also simpler to use it on a day-to-day -day basis. We, um, we find that that simplicity has a lot of secondary advantages as well. On the one hand, your DevOps team gets to, or the people fulfilling the DevOps role, where you know if you're in a startup, that might be the developers themselves. If you're in a larger, larger organization, you might have a DevOps team, but the people in that role get to spend less of their time worrying about the service mesh. Um, we also find that the developers end up better able to rely on the service mesh, which lets them move faster. We find that the DevOps folks report that Linkerd's reliability, it, you know, the reliability of the mesh itself tends to let them focus less on their jobs. They have to spend less of their time figuring out if the service mesh has broken and more of their time focusing on actually keeping their application and their operations running smoothly. That actually, you know, that can make a really big difference there. A good metric of that actually is if you look around the industry, I'm not sure I've ever met, I'm not sure I've ever run across an organization where they have somebody whose full-time job is the care and feeding of Linkerd. It's usually just, you know, they've got their DevOps team and they give all their DevOps people some training yeah. and maybe they spend an hour or so a week poking at it. Um, but yeah, having a having a full-time Linkerd expert on staff, I'm not sure anybody other than Buoyant has that. And the reason Buoyant has it is that that's where a lot of the Linkerd maintainers work. <laughs> so these are people who are spending their jobs developing on Linkerd rather than trying to keep it running for some other purpose. All right. So from the implementation side, are there any best practices or common pitfalls to be aware of during the adoption phase? Well, obviously the first best practice is to run Linkerd instead of some other mesh and uh, um, <laughs> perhaps less facetiously. Uh, I would say that the most important thing from my perspective is to think carefully about certificate management right from the start. Linkerd itself, if you just run an installation of Linkerd using the Linkerd install CLI command, then Linkerd will generate self-signed certificates for you and make it really, really easy to get a demo Linkerd up and running. But that's really not how you want to do it in production because if you use those certificates, then it can be a little bit complex when the time comes to deal with their rotation. Uh, this is all documented. It's not that complex. It's completely doable. But if you know you're taking it into production and you know you've got you know the corporate security department with a corporate CA or something like that, yeah, I would recommend that you put a little thought into that from the beginning and just go ahead and set things up using the process that you're actually going to use yeah ideally from the beginning because one of the other i guess this counts as a pitfall too right one of the other important bits is that whatever you're going to do to rotate certificates you need to actually practice that 
because uh, otherwise sure. what'll happen is that somebody will call up in the middle of the night going, oh my God, we just had this thing get compromised. We got to rotate this certificate immediately. And now you're trying to follow a fairly complex procedure late at night while you're stressed under time pressure. No, just practice it beforehand. Life will be much better. Even better is you'll be able to just type a cert manager command and have it deal with it for you, have it deal with that for you. Uh, so that's, those are the big ones to me. Um, I guess there's one other one I could mention is that when we were talking about security, I mentioned that Linkerd relies on Kubernetes service accounts as the basis for identity. One of the problems that I personally ran into, I mean, it wasn't a big problem, but it was confusing for a few minutes, uh, was realizing that I had deployed a bunch of microservices that were all using the same service account because I type out a YAML, or I type out a bit of YAML. And you know, that wasn't a big deal to fix, but it was very confusing for a few minutes. <laughs> yeah. That, these are pretty important notes to take when implementing uh Linkerd, I guess. Yeah. Um Yeah, the, the certificate is certificate certificate management is definitely the the one I would emphasize the most there. Yeah, I agree. What's the horizon of Linkerd? Like, are there any upcoming features or improvements that you can share with us? There are a couple of things coming. Um, yeah, there are a couple of interesting things coming along. One of them is that starting in Linkerd 2.12, and Linkerd 2.13 is our, our current shipping release, right at the moment while we're recording this. Um, you and I are slated to do a webinar a little bit later. And by the time we're doing that webinar, I expect to be doing that with Linkerd 2.14. So as of Linkerd 2.12, we started incorporating the gateway API for config configuration of some of the, some of the things within the Linkerd service mesh. In 2.13, we picked up some more stuff there. Linkerd 2.14 extends that further so that, uh, for example, one of the things that just got added, I think of this as just got added to the Gateway API. I should really say from the perspective of people not working on the Gateway API, being able to specify timeouts in a Gateway API HTTP route. And prior to very recently, that was simply not a thing that you could do with Gateway API. Um, but you can do it now with Gateway API. Linkerd 2.14 has, we have edge releases out, or sorry, Linkerd has a, a stable release channel and then what we call the edge releases for things that aren't yet stable, but we're we're putting them out so people can try them. And so there are edge releases that have support for HTTP route timeouts, for example. So we're bringing in more and more of the gateway API functionality as that becomes available. Um, we're doing a lot more with, right now there's a little bit of a conflict between do you configure certain features using the Linkerd specific service profile CRD, or do you use the gateway API HTTP route? Linkerd 2.14 makes those much closer to feature parity. So you can pick either one, which is nice. Uh, Linkerd 2.14 is also slated to do some pretty cool stuff with multi-cluster. Uh, and we didn't talk, we haven't really talked about multi-cluster so far, yeah. but one of the really interesting things about the way Linkerd handles identity, since it is completely separate from 
the network. And since we have we have a three-layer hierarchy for identity, we've got workload certificates, which are attached to individual microservices. We have an identity issuer, and then we have a trust anchor. And the trust anchor has to sign the identity issuer. The identity issuer signs all the workload certs. Because we have that trust hierarchy set up in that fashion, it means that if you want to do multi-cluster, all you need to do is arrange for your two clusters to share the same trust anchor. And then all of the Linkerd security stuff just works. Prior to Linkerd 2.14, there are some things that I'm glossing over there that can make it more complex. But Linkerd 2.14 is revising the multi-cluster setup to be quite a bit simpler than it used to be. And, and I'm actually really looking forward to seeing some of that stuff. That's going to be pretty cool. Sounds uh, exciting. So I have my fingers crossed. I believe we're going to be able to demo that in the webinar, though. Wow. It would be great. Yeah. Yeah, yeah that's... There's... Like I said, I, I've got my fingers crossed. It's uh, I'm, I'm very hopeful. I think that uh, I think we should be able to do that. Linkerd oh, cool. two point fourteen is is supposed to be out pretty soon, and so I, I'm pretty optimistic there. I really hope it's it it will be very interesting to to see that in a demo. Mm -hmm. um, okay, I I love to end the episode with a last personal question. So <laughs> great. If you are not working today in the tech industry at all, what would you do in your day-to-day? -day? I would probably be suffering as a musician. Um, oh. That was, uh, yeah, at the, at the end of high school, I actually spent a fair amount of, of uh, at, the, at the end of high school, there was a certain amount of agonizing required for whether I was going to go into tech professionally or whether I was going to go into music professionally. So I'd probably, if I had, if I weren't in tech now, it'd probably be because I had made that decision the other direction. What kind of instruments? I played horn. Um, well, now it's called horn at the time it was called French horn. So one of the interesting things about that instrument is that since it's a brass instrument, if you play one brass instrument, you can play all of them and move around. Hmm. Um, and so I don't know if I would have ended up as a classical horn player or if I would have moved over and started doing jazz on trumpet or something like that. I don't know. Um, and at this point around in the house, you know, there's a guitar and there's a bass and we've had keyboards in the house at various times and things like that. You can never really walk away from it. <laughs> <laughs> That's cool. I also play guitar, so... It's nice oh, cool. to hear. Yeah. 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 I'm, uh, for anybody listening, don't get the wrong impression. I am far from being a good guitar player, but, uh, so do I, you know, <laughs> <laughs> but it's fun. You know, I mean, it's, it's one of the things that I think is cool about guitar is that it's not terribly hard to get to a point where it's yeah. fun to play. Uh, I think that's even more true of bass, actually. And also from the music theory point of view, there's there are a bunch of things about music theory that become really much more obvious when you start playing guitar and start looking at chord shapes and things like that. That are yeah, there's a bunch of stuff that's really hard to learn if you're looking at keyboard instruments or if you're mm -hmm. looking at something like brass where you can only play one note at a time. Um, a lot of things like that that are much much easier to see with guitar. I think that's really cool. 
So, you know, I guess that also tells you that uh, the geek factor that got me into tech would have definitely been present in music as well. (laughs) (laughs) Okay, Flynn, thank you so much for joining our podcast today and sharing your knowledge. Thank you. It's been a pleasure. Yeah, thank you very much. It was very interesting to, to hear about Service Mesh and Linkerd and all it brings to the table together. So thank you very much and see you in our Tech Tuesday session pretty soon. Sounds good. It's a pleasure to be here. Thanks for having me. Thank you. This podcast is a review of the Velips Tech Tuesday webinar. So if you're interested in our in-depth discussions about the up-to-date technologies in DevOps, check out our webinar on our website at the show notes. Until next time, bye-bye.